Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Goddamn. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by legend, a.k.a. Jim Hagen, a unique individual who walked into my office the other day, literally on the beach here in Higante Bay, where I am now residing, who just struck me as a very interesting human being, beautiful, and doing something unique with his life after what sounded like a life of a lot of hard work that paid off for him. So it started to really intrigue me that this would be an individual who's now at a point where he gets to design his life in any way he wants. And through our conversations and the little bit of research I did about him, it's, it is very unique. And I'm really happy to welcome Legend to the show. Welcome, Legend. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you, my man. It's a pleasure to be here in Gigante. It is, isn't it? It's a beautiful town. It's been a wonderful week, week and a half. But you've been here before. This is my fifth year of coming down here for two months where I use this as a home base. So four years ago, five years ago, John was very helpful to me when I had some problems. And so I now come back as a pay-it-back approach towards somebody who had paid it back forward for me a couple of years ago. And how did John do that? Like, what did he do for you? I had changed my life. I owned a large construction company. At age 50, I had a bad back injury. So I had to go from being running a $10 million a year construction company to a simple life. And some friends from San Juan del Sur suggested I come up and talk to John. And the exact directions were, go to Gigante Bay. When the road dead ends, make a left. When the road dead ends again, stop and ask for John and tell him you need help. So I followed those directions. And um, he gave me a whole bunch of advice that I went back and employed for six months, thought about it, and then made a plan to come back and get some more advice. So what you see today is John is one of three people that I consider the best advisors of simple life in the world. And the I best advisor to a simple life. And I've met a lot of people. That's interesting. That's really cool. I didn't know that, actually. So did when you first came here, did you drive? Because I know you drive around Central America these days in your red truck. How did you get here to Nicaragua the first time? My first time, uh, as I said, I owned a construction company, and I sold everything including my house, and I traveled with just a little leather pouch. It was uh, the size of a girl's purse. Wow. And I wanted to lead a simple life, so I took the pouch that my grandfather had given me, looked like John Muir, and I cheated and flew down here with that pouch, and then I lived here for six months with just a leather pouch. Were you walking barefoot also? <laughs> I was not. <laughs> I was getting ready to go for a long hike. So I was I was recovering from my injuries in the warm weather. And okay. that got me here the first time. The second time, I came down by bus with a backpack and checked all the border crossings with the plan the third year to drive down here. The third year, I drove a truck fully loaded with supplies to give to schools and kids that everybody had given to me. And I dropped them all off and then went back with nothing. That's what I'm doing this year again. So that's my third year of driving down here. Driving supplies down that you just distribute to? Yes. Everything you see in that truck is giveawayable. Interesting. How do you collect all that stuff over the year? People know what I do. So I travel and I 
go to 12 places like Gigante Bay that we know as Trail Angels houses on the Pacific Crest Trail. They're known as hostels, and they're also known as Mom and Dad's House in Minnesota. So at all those places, they know what I'm going to do. I've posted on Facebook what I want, and on my fourth time, they save it for me all year. I pick it up. Hmm. So I get rid of everything, and then I load up again, and I get rid of everything. And it's worked and, well. And you use the word trail angel. I'm not familiar with what a trail angel is. Can you describe what that is? My introduction to Simple Life was a six-month hike on the Pacific Crest Trail when people said I couldn't walk again. So the first year, I walked 20 miles in 10 days. Then I came and saw John. He said, keep trying. I went back. Then I walked 200 miles in 10 days and realized I could make it. The third year in 2013, I walked from Mexico to Canada about one mile an hour, 20 hours a day, with a very small pouch and a lot of help. And the people that help you along the way are known as trail angels. They manage up here. They offer a word of encouragement. If you need a place to sleep on a rainy night, they open up their garages. So on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is the community I live in the other six months, there's a community of help people helping people. And they're called trail angels. And when it happens, it's called trail magic. And if you become part of the community, you become part of a very, very unique community of people helping people every day. And it changes your life. So then I decided I would go back and help people. And I became a trail angel. I liked it so much that I didn't stop at one, one place. I became a traveling trail angel. I went along from hostel to hostel helping the hikers. I did that for a year, paying it back. And then last year, I decided to have my own mobile hostel that I went along with the hikers for six months, allowing me to hike 100 miles every two weeks, where I loved, and set up and make pancake breakfast and spaghetti dinners for over 6,000 of each of them, all funded with donations and love and time and money. It cost me nothing. That's insane. It was. That's amazing. That goes to insane and... The three crazy rule. First, I tell you what I'm going to do. You say I'm crazy. Second time I say you what I'm going to do, you say I'm crazy. The third time I said, I'm, you're right, I am crazy. But if I'm having a good time, do you want me to invite you? The reason that my sister came down here last year, my best friends have come down. The third time, they no longer think I'm crazy. They see the pictures, the brochures, the lifestyle. They meet John. They meet people like yourselves that are down here. And they say, maybe we're the crazy ones. Interesting. So it's, it's, it's. It is that transition to simple life mm -hmm. that intrigued you today. Interesting. If, I, if you had interviewed me as a businessman, it's just another article in another business magazine. They've already wrote plenty of those. So this is the sixth year of a 10-year plan, and then I will quit. Okay. I, um, I'm trying to specifically for my nieces and nephews who are college age, show them that they don't have to go to work in standard America that you can do mobile businesses, you can start retreat centers, you can start surf centers in Nicaragua, mm -hmm. and you can actively tell your dreams to your family and friends, and then they will help you. And if they have dreams, you help them. And once you've solved your family and your friends' dreams, then you can go to the next level of acquaintances. But you've got to start at home. So my mom and my dad inspire me, my sisters, and my best friends. And that's what I do. I love it, man. You you also use a term I hadn't heard before called pop up communities. Is that something that you'd come up with or you've heard before? Or like, 
What is a pop-up community? That one is my term. It's called, the final result was a business called Pop-Up Trail Angels. So I can ensure the pop-up hostel, I'm sorry, it's called Pop-Up Hostels. So I could get insurance and have a business license to comply with the rules and regulations in the U.S. But the pop-up hostel concept is a mobile living through technology and lightweight materials. So every time I stop somewhere, I start with a community of one myself. I then employ or get a volunteer. I don't mean employ. I get a volunteer who you met earlier today to help me for just five minutes. Now we have a community of two. The next day, we each find somebody to help us for five minutes. We now have a community of four. We then do it again. We get to eight. We get to community of 16, and then it always breaks down because you don't have enough time to meet everybody every day. So I promote the idea of make a community of 16 family, friends, random strangers, live that way for a week, and then plan on breaking it apart. Immediately when you break it apart, the next day, if you want to start again and all 16 people are there, start again correcting what you might have done better the previous week. So the second week is even better with the 16, same 16 people. If eight have to leave or three leave, find the best replacements in the world, get them to come in. So you're constantly attracting the best people for the projects you want. So if you need a seven-year-old girl to help draw pictures, you employ a, you ask a seven-year-old girl to volunteer to show you how to draw. And then she becomes part of the community. If you need uh, somebody to teach you how to ride a horse, find somebody who knows how to ride a horse, get him to be part of your community. Once he's done his job, he may have to leave, but you will know how to ride a horse. With that idea, you can always answer the question when somebody says, do you know how to do this? With a saying from Pippi Longstock, and it says, I don't know, I've never done it, so I think I can. <laughs> I like that. I like Pippi Longstocking as well. I actually just witnessed this on the beach with Legend where a complete stranger that he had just met this morning walked by and he asked him to do a favor for him, which he complied with immediately without batting an eye, and then explained to me how that exchange had occurred. Now, can you just give us an idea how that began and, and why he was willing to just at a drop of a hat do whatever you asked him to do for him? Yes. Every morning when I end up at a new location, I start with a thermos of coffee and permission from the location people, whether it's a national park, a restaurant, a hostel in Gigante, and I ask permission to have coffee on the beach at 5 a.m. If it works, it's from 5 to 7. If it works and everybody's happy, the next day I say, can I have coffee and pancakes that I make myself on the beach from 5 to 7? When people find out they can wake up early and start their day with a cup of coffee at 5 o'clock, the early risers, the ones that start the world in the morning, show up. So I met this guy this morning. He was up at 5 o'clock. He slept in a hammock. No money in his pocket. He's a traveler. No money in his pocket. And offered him a cup of coffee. He says, anything I can do to help? I said, not right now. You want some pancakes? He said, yep. I said, well, you know how to make pancakes? He says, yep. I said, well, I've made four already. There's one left. Why don't you make one for yourself? Well, needless to say, he made a pancake better than I did. He turned down the heat. He didn't burn it. So when we sat down with five pancakes and a thermos of coffee and a pot of coffee, 
eight people came over and each one took a little bit of the pancake and a little bit of coffee and asking everybody they liked his the best. So he asked again, what can I do to help? I said, today I have some important meetings with a young girl and I've got a 10 o'clock meeting and I've got a four o'clock meeting. And if I need a little bit of help at those times, I'm going to ask for you just to put away my expensive stuff. So I just asked him as I was walking by, I saw him. If he hadn't taken it, I was prepared to carry my camera and stuff up with me. I'd already wrapped it all up. So it only helped me and it made him feel good. And so he's fulfilled his commitment, five minutes, and I don't have an expensive camera I have to worry about losing. Hmm. So I got everything I wanted. He got everything he wanted. Coffee, breakfast, new friends, great stories this morning, and he actually did a job. And so anytime people can feel like they're helpful, they want to stay around. So even helping make the one pancake, I could have made it myself. But why? I could have carried that camera to my truck. But why? It gave him an opportunity to help somebody who wanted to help. So one of the things I had to learn when I quit my business was I had to learn to accept help. I used to say, no, I've got this. I don't need your help. And that was always the answer for many years. So when I broke my back, I had to learn to accept help graciously and just say, thank you. Thank God that somebody's willing to help. You know, and, uh, and that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was turn from being a full-time helper to accepting it when I needed it and then giving it when I can. And that's, I think we got off on the trail angel idea, but ultimately now, I help people that help others. So there's trail angels and older people who have helped people their whole life. And now they're getting tired or they're getting old. So I can come in and help them for one week or one year or one day. And so John down here, I do special projects with. And it's just little simple advanced business projects that he's always dreamed about but getting done. But he's too busy to do. And sometimes too proud to ask for help. Mm, I can relate to that. I, uh, John and I spent a lot of years traveling together. And I think the biggest thing I took from that whole experience was, yes, being willing to accept people's generosity and kindness. Because John and I hitchhiked around the world for a year. People picked us up. People took us home. People fed us. They never asked for a dime. Nothing. And uh, at first it was very hard and uncomfortable to stand on the side of the road with my thumb out and ask for a ride. you know. But you become very aware that there are many, many people in this world who just want to help and are more than happy to give without receiving. And once you start to accept, then you start to really feel that within yourself and it becomes a part of you as well, which I can see in you that, you know, you just kind of glow with this aura of wanting to help and be a part of and, and in exchange, in an exchange sort of way, like the gentleman that you spoke of with this morning where you gave him pancakes, but now it sounds like he's kind of in your, he's the, he's the second one of your 16 to maybe join your volunteer pop-up community for the next week. Does that sound about right? That is correct. And we also have number three and four, five, six, seven, and eight today. Oh, you already found them. So it started at five o'clock and by six o'clock we got numbers three and four, a young couple that's here that wants to just sit and talk every morning and they volunteered to clean up the dishes when we got done. Okay. Uh, we got numbers five, six, seven, and eight who uh, joined our group this morning and they volunteered to meet me this afternoon to help finish a small book I'm writing for a little girl. Okay. So they took some pictures and they'll help print out those pictures and they're going to 
offer some editing of the book, and they're going to spend a little time teaching a girl how to draw and write a book. And so now I have eight people in my community, and I think I might have gotten the ninth one this morning, a young girl who's part of the book writing. And, uh, I would think that there's probably number 10 might be sitting across from me. Mm -hmm. Number 11 will show up. Cool. I'd like to bring, kind of go back and bring back into the fold the experience you had when you did break your back and the doctors were talking about you not being able to do anything anymore. Sounds like physically you wouldn't be able to walk again. Um, can you go through that and how that all played out and then where it left you financially? Because I know I'd like to try to bring into these stories a realistic perspective on, you know, people's lives, lifestyles, how they're getting by. You know, you're, I believe, a 55 year old man who at this point is, a travel angel, you know, with pop-up communities who supplies pancakes and pasta and through donations and so forth, I understand that you're able to get by, but can you maybe talk about where the injury happened and then what transpired after that? Yes. I, um, I traveled Central America until I was 30, getting out of college. I have five college degrees and I was really good at what I did in college. So I knew I could be successful. So I became a successful backpacker in Central America with my girlfriend. Okay. Left with $1,000. We're going to be gone until we got half of it gone. Thought we'd be gone five months. Ended up gone five years. We came back with money. So we knew we could do what we wanted to if we set our mind to it. So me and her became partners for 25 years. Still my best friend. And we started a business when we were in San Diego called Fireproof Coatings. She operated the business and I did the sales and marketing, we went from zero money in our pocket to doing a ridiculous quantity of work, $10 million a year. I lived in the most fancy house on the beach. I was a member of the richest golf course in the world called The Bridges. It cost $350,000 to join. My golf bill a month was $8,000 a month to play golf, $6,000 a month to live in my house. At age 40, I broke my back the first time. I didn't walk for a year. I went to the gym every day. I got better. I kept running my business, but I knew I had to change my life. So I was going to walk the Pacific Crest Trail at age 40 with my girlfriend. Just before I was going to walk it, I re-injured my back. We'd already dropped off all our supply boxes. She walked it with another friend of ours and changed her life forever. It became simple. She could no longer go to the $50 glass of wine that we had so accustomed ourselves to, living on the beach of San Diego and Encinitas, looking at the ocean starting the Sunset Club, and money was free. We had all we wanted. We were really good at what we did. We had all the money in the world. Um, when she hiked, she changed, and I realized that money couldn't buy happiness that she had. So I planned on retiring at age 50 and following my dreams to play golf and travel. At age 49 and a half, I broke my back, which absolutely solidified that I would not spend that time in the gym again. So I sold everything. They told me I wouldn't walk. I asked my girlfriend, Nancy, what I should do. She says, why don't you walk the PCT? So she took me to the start, and for 10 days, she walked two miles a day with me. And when we got to Lake Marino, she says, you can make it. You just need to have a long enough time. I said, I got the rest of my life. I don't own anything anymore. So we sat one day on the deck, just like we're sitting here, and I called my eight advisors, my friends for life, people that I'd hitchhiked around the world with, people that I had traveled through Central America with, uh, people that knew me 
not from the business aspect, but from before I was a businessman. I said, I want to return to the simple life. And they said, you won't be able to do it because you're intertwined with business. So that day I quit answering emails from my business. I'd sold it. I quit answering emails. I quit answering the name of Jim Hagan. I was no longer president. I was no longer a man with money. I was a man who lived on the street. I sold everything and took a sign that said, we'll work for food to the street corner on a bet that I couldn't do it. So far, I've lasted six years. Tell Everything. me, though, we got to stop there. you got to tell me what happened when you walked out there with that sign. What, did, what happened? I went to the local grocery store. I was dressed in a pair of work boots, blue jeans, and a work shirt. And people I knew walked by me. They looked me right in the eye and walked by. They walked by four or five different people. They didn't even pay attention. They ignored you. They knew you, but they They had were... been to my house the night before for dinner. Wow. They were they embarrassed good, they, by you? They were good friends of mine. Were they embarrassed or they were just... They didn't see me. They really? were so conditioned to not see the need help people on the side of the street because they were well-to-do people. They were tired of the person asking for a handout. And so the will work for free, will work for money. I need $5 for beer sign that the sign flyers have. Mm -hmm. I'd done that before, so I knew what it was. And I wasn't afraid. I can hitchhike. I can do this. And so the bet was I couldn't. So I sat there and I did Nobody took me up on it. We'll work for food was a sign. We'll work for free. And then I switched to we'll work for food. And finally somebody said, hey, if you want to buy tea, because I didn't have no money. I had only that leather pouch. Mm -hmm. And uh, there I was, broken back, couldn't work, couldn't do nothing. And uh, I had a commitment to go to a birthday party four days later for a little girl. But that birthday party was of four ladies that had walked by me. And I came in dressed just like that. I hadn't changed. In real life, I hadn't showered for three days either. <laughs> I hadn't eaten. I was starving. And I came to this birthday party. And they said, what have you been doing? I said, you should know. You saw me. They said, we didn't see you. I said, yeah, you were at the grocery store yesterday buying all this food for this party at 10 o'clock. And they said, I was there, but I didn't see you. I said, I know. And then I looked at another lady. I said, you came in two nights ago at 9 o'clock to buy some beer for your husband and some chips and some food for the kids. She goes, I was there, but I didn't see you. I said, I know. And I went to the through them. I said, I said, you saw me, but you didn't think it was me because you would not believe that I would look like that. I did not have on my pressed shirt, my clean clothes, clean cut, brand new shoes. What you're accustomed to seeing. So what you saw was just another character. You didn't really look into my eyes because you were afraid to see me. And if you looked, you'd have known who it was. And I pulled out the sign. And I said, now do you recognize me? I go, that was you? I go, yes, that was me. They said, we didn't stop because we're afraid of strangers. I said, I'm not a stranger. Now when did you stop? They said, we didn't see you. It was almost a reply. It's a group. I sat them down and said, let's talk about this. But each and every one of them told me, if you want to work for food or for free, you can come to my yard tomorrow because we know who you are and you're our friend. And I started working for free in their yards, at which point I was eating well, sleeping in the hammock on the beach. And they started to give me stuff. And one of them had an old motorhome in their yard that didn't run. They said, if you could just get this thing out of here, we'd appreciate it. It was a piece of trash. So I called another friend and said, hey, can I borrow your truck today? 
and I pulled the motorhome down to a national park. And I didn't have no money. Remember, I went with no money. So I pulled it to the national park, and uh, I got it in there. And I made a deal with the national park people that I'd be the camp host for two weeks, so I didn't have to pay. While I was camp host, I invited all my friends down for a barbecue, and one of them knew how to fix motorhomes, so he showed me how to fix it. So at the end of two weeks, I had a free motorhome that ran, placed in the national park, and everybody had been coming down for dinner. And I was no longer homeless. I had a home, a motorhome. And people started bringing food down because I was in the most beautiful spot on the beach right where I lived. And so they started coming back down. We'd had a campfire, but now it was free. I didn't have to pay the $6,000 for my house. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to mow my yard. Mm-hmm. And so I, did, I found out that I could live on the beach for free if I just volunteered a little bit for the national park system. Mm-hmm. So two hours of volunteering offset eight hours of working, as a, well, 16 hours a day. And I was living in the same place. I had the same friends. We were eating the same good food because now they were going to the store and buying food to barbecue. And they were bringing their leftover bottles down there. And the kids would come down. I'd babysit the kids during the day while they surfed right there at Swami's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I parked. It was right above Swami's every day with the motorhome. When I when I got done with that, I'd pull it in the motor- Swami's at 5 a.m. And I'd stay till 10. And then I'd go park in a friend's driveway. So I came up with this way to be at Swami's every day. And everybody started coming down. The surfers, the people that I used to play golf with, people I used to do business with. And they're like, you do this every day? I go, yep. This is your motorhome? Yep. It's pretty nice. Because a nice motorhome that didn't run. So when I fixed the motor, which really, in truth, was just a dead battery. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just too lazy to figure it out. They just, they, it was their parents. Okay. And they didn't want to travel with the motorhome. They didn't want to insure it. They just didn't want it. Their parents had given it to them. As we see so much now, parents are giving stuff they collect to kids who don't have a place to store it. And so now we see the, and, and I've taken advantage of that. So when old people want to give something away and their kids don't want it, I say, look, I know kids in Nicaragua that will use it. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I know kids that will use it. So if you want to give something away, I will find somebody to give it to. You don't have to burn it or trash it. Mm-hmm. So now we operate off of a... Anyway, that's the story of the free food. Well, so, it's cool because you have basically employed the skill set you learned on the road um, to recreate a life of... Let's mm, not homelessness, but like you are able to be open to whatever comes to you each day and through the various ways of donation and figuring out, you know, like negotiations with the park service and stuff like that. I mean, you sold a business that you, you made money off of and you put that money into something safe that you could utilize if you chose to. I'm understanding. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And so, but you have still designed a life where you don't really use that money and you get around the world in the exact way you want free and and helping people. I put it into an irrevocable trust for my nieces and nephews. Okay. So I can only get it back if they'll give it to me. Really? So if I die today, my nieces and nephews are very rich. So irrevocable trust is something that you can't touch anymore. You basically gave up the right to all the money that you have. Yes. But I gave it to the rights to people I trusted. Okay. Again, not the government. Yeah. Not some investor from New York City. I gave the money just literally gave the money in a suitcase mm-hmm. to people I trusted. No different than putting it in your mattress, mm-hmm. making sure that you keep it there. So, Do you ever have to tap into that, or is it pretty much you're able to sustain the lifestyle that you've created? I've never tapped into it. Really? Hence going from zero 
to a millionaire's lifestyle with nothing. If you were to look out the window of where we're sitting today, and I was to describe it, I would say I am sitting about 50 feet from a beach that looks like Moonlight Beach, except for there's some sailboats out there that we can sail on if we want to. There's a mountain to repel on. There's good friends. It's not crowded. I would say it's identical to La Jolla, California, without the money. So if you've ever been to La Jolla and you've seen the beauty of it, welcome to Gigante Bay. So now I live the very spot that I sold when I turned 50. And that's only in five years. Last time it took me 20 years to get to this spot. So now I live here at Gigante Bay when I'm here for two months a year. John lets me treat it like I own it. He invites me into his house. He owns it. Make no question. Somebody owns it, but he lets me treat it like an owner. He lets many of his friends treat it like they own it. There's a beach. There's kids playing. There's surfers. Kind of looks like what I left five years ago that used to cost me about $6,000 a month. And now I get for, oh yeah, I volunteer four hours a day. And my volunteer today was to babysit his daughter. I don't think it's too bad of a life I'm living. No, it's amazing. And you just described, yeah, where we're looking from the office at John's personal house. And yeah, it's it's equally as fulfilling to be here in this situation with what we have and the people we're surrounded by as I'm sure it was fulfilling at times to sit on that cliff back in La Jolla or by Swamis and look out over the Pacific Ocean, the life that you did have. You know, I'm sure you appreciated it at one point in time. But... um how did you get the nickname Legend? When you travel and you want to change your life, you get assigned a name that is reflective of you or a place you come from or something you did in your life. There's a song that says, A Legend Never Dies by Jimmy Buffett. So when I was six, when instilled a little bit of my life, I suffocated in a grain bin. I died at age six in a farm accident in Minnesota. They told my mom I was dead. When they pulled me out through mouth to mouth, I did not die that day. But they wasn't sure if there was brain damage or whatever. But I didn't die that day. It wasn't much later when I was involved in a car accident. They called my mom and they think we, they said, we think Jim's dead. Guess what? I didn't die that day either. The third and final time was another construction accident, not, not my back. A high-pressure hose blew and took out most of my left side, my knee, my back, my left eye, my shoulder. I look at you this way with a reason. I sit very stiff for a reason. I don't do anything with my left arm for a reason. So in that accident, it was a high-pressure accident. They called my office. A hose blew and ended up in a pile of debris and a scaffold collapsed around me. They called my office on a large site and they said... Jim Hagen's been killed, send out your media people. The media people, my office, happened to be my girlfriend, who I'd lived with for 25 years. So she arrived 40 minutes later thinking I was dead. She called my mom and dad because with social media, she didn't want anybody else to know at first, so she called my mom and dad to tell them I'd been killed because that's what she'd been told. She'd been trained to do this. So she arrived, but they got me out after 28 minutes, and I wasn't dead. Beat to pieces. And therefore, the name Legend sticks because if they tell my mom I'm dead, she doesn't believe it. So <laughs> the legend never dies. As a song from Jimmy Buffett, who we listen to a lot. It's just legends never die. And it's a famous saying. And so since then, I've sat in a snowstorm for eight days on the Pacific Crest Trail. 
and I made a video before I left and gave it to my mom. She was out helping me, Trail Angel in 2013. And the snowstorm was coming and young kids were going out. I said, I'll go out and make sure they're all safe. I'll be the last one to turn around. The search and rescue people had met with me and we knew we'd turn around. You weren't going to make it to Canada. We were just 150 miles away. And so I told the search and rescue people and the people at the hostel that I'd go out and make sure everybody was safe and turned around. So after three days, everybody turned around, but I had food and I'd made a video that I would be gone for 10 days if they didn't find me to come look for me. So on days eight and nine, my sisters and everybody was yelling at my mom, send in the search and rescue. We haven't heard from them for eight days. And my mom says, no, I have a video that says, do not send in the search and rescue till day 10. It's a video with all his food, his extra gear, and I know exactly where he's at. He doesn't have phone, phone. he doesn't have communication, but person number 30 that came back said he's going to stay there until the snowstorm finishes. And so I stayed, and on day 9, there was an avalanche condition in front of me. So I had to walk 26 miles down a hill through the snow, back to where my mom was staying at a trail angel's house. And I arrived about four hours before the search and rescue people were going to get out. And everybody was amazed, including a friend of mine, Pippi Longstocking, who was there. <laughs> and uh, first man, and PCT mom and dad, some trail angels were there. When they came in, they're all like, and my mom just looked at him and says, he told you he would be back. And uh, she says, you just got to learn to believe him when he says what he's going to do. So everybody that said, you know, because she's my mom, you know, and uh, she's had some hard times. And uh, just two years earlier, my younger brother had hung himself. Um, and uh, no, it wasn't even two years. It was the year I hiked the trail. He hung himself just about a month before I started. So my mom used my hike to overcome the grief. She came out and saw the young kids that were positive. And uh, so when any thought of losing her second son would was just devastating to her. So, uh, so I made sure that she never had that fear. I made those videos and I said, Mom, I understand. And so when it got tough and people were worried about it, I said, Mom, don't sit at home and worry about it. Come on out and help me. Yeah. So she came out for 40 days and stayed at Trail Angel Houses and met all these people. And eventually we made it to Canada after the snowstorm. And I was the last one there that year. First one to leave, last one to get there. And it came up with that saying now that I part ways with is, Last one to Canada wins, because that means I got to be out there the longest. So yesterday when we were on the boat, the last one into shore wins, because you got to swim more than anybody else. Yeah. So you learn to slow down, really slow down, as you've learned. Enjoy life for every day. Live for right now. Remember yesterday, it was beautiful. Think about tomorrow. But you know, right now, you know, the most important part of my life is right now talking to you. And, uh, tomorrow will be a happy memory. I look forward to next time we see each other. These stories go on forever. Yeah, you're they true, ne true, stop. true legend, my friend. Died three times. So the first one was what? He suffocated in a grain silo. Yes. Second one, car accident. The third one was the building accident. And then probably a few brushes pretty close to death a few times after that. But you're still going, still living for the day, still living for the moment. Is your mom still with us? She is. How long? How she, often do you talk to her? She travels with me for two months out of the year. No way. My dad travels with me two months. He uses a walker, and he travels with me two months. That's a beautiful thing. That very motorhome that I told you about earlier, uh -huh. he comes home for my dad and mom when I travel. So it's a traveling trail angel. They come out, experience life through the kids, 
Um, I'm very fortunate they're both alive. They're 84 and 80 years old. They just had their 60th wedding anniversary. 60 years. They live in the same small town. Um, I go back and I help older people for one month that need handicap accessing other houses. So if they have friends who need a better shower, a ramp, say you use a wheelchair. So I've learned to appreciate helping old people. I've always appreciated helping young people. But again, the old people, they never ask for help. So you have to observe that they need the help. And uh, if you tell them you're going to help, they will refuse it. That's what they're taught to do. But if you do it without asking, they will acknowledge it. So now we teach volunteers at travel to, if you have to ask what to do, you don't get it. You should know what to do. If you see the beach is dirty, pick up the trash. If you see a little girl crying, give her a hug. If you see somebody that wants a cup of coffee, go get them one. You don't have to ask the volunteer. You absolutely don't have to ask the volunteer. And you don't have to ask anybody to give away your last cup of coffee. You can give away anything you want in the world, and it will come back a hundred times. Mm -hmm. So that volunteering and giving is really the book I wrote two days ago, the book I wrote today, is all about the simple life, and specifically the ones I'm writing now are the simple life of kids in Nicaragua, just how happy they are. Where can people read these books that you write? Where can people find you online? Where can people learn more about legend? You can Google search Pacific Crest Trail legend. You can find the 185-page story of my trip in 2013, the trip of a lifetime, on trailjournals.com slash Jim Hagen or slash legend. Uh, there's pictures and stories. You can YouTube legend PCT, and you'll find a few interview questions like we've had here and some other stories. Most of them are not published. Um, the only ones you'll find are online. By design, the books I write are not for the world. They're for the people I write them for. So at the most I'll make is 10 to 20 copies, and they can give them to their family and friends. And if somebody wants to take one and publish it, good luck. I mean, go ahead. I, I don't make money from I'm not in that business. Got it. So the best way to do it, I guess, is to... I mean, I, I'm, I, I love marketing, right? So I think the best way to do it is to come down to Gigante Bay next year, sit here with me and first mate, and uh, tell us a few stories, and we'll write a book, and you can read the ones we've written, because I do keep an original copy of all the books I have with me. So I've got all five, six, eight books with me. And, okay. And, uh, but they're not... Um, or if you want to experience it firsthand, come out and hike on the PCT. Just one step. So the movie that doesn't show up anywhere that I make when I show people was titled You Don't Get Anywhere Until You Take the First Step The Broken Backstory and uh, you know so that was uh, designed to inspire old people to hike and now I take old people on hikes I guide people but really um, I think the best way to you know how about if I finish with a story please the story is who is a legend who is a legend is a travel question they often, often ask in travel circles. Young people will quickly Google search legend. Wikipedia says a legend is, quote, a highly ecotypified historical narrative performed in a personalized way so that the belief and customs to who the legend belongs can have their dreams fulfilled and realized. 
Therefore, by definition, I, the legend, am a real-life hero to kids, so their dreams can be realized and fulfilled. But the real answer to the question is not who am I. The real question I ask is, who is a legend? So the legend is the person in your life who inspires you, who fulfills your dreams, who you want to become someday. The legend is your hero. The legend is most likely your mom or dad. Please call them today and tell them. Thank you for your time, legend. Perfect. Thank you for the interview. It's always fun to talk. It was awesome. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.